Missing car alert. Have you seen my car? A black OD with license plate L33339 Missing from Limerick. The owner John Murphy, that's me, I'm John Murphy, right? And I'm seeking the public's help in locating my car robbed outside my door last Saturday early Sunday. I know I drove it home from the pub and parked outside my door and it's gone. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of my car, contact me, John Murphy, immediately via Bangor Road Garda Station. They know me in there. Don't talk to anyone but Con Scott, Sergeant Scott. He's on the case. Any details, no matter how small, could be crucial in the search for my car, robbed outside my door. Okay, Black Audi. L three 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 nine three three. Go on, that'll do, Margaret. Hit stop on that there for me. I'm gonna pitch you a quote, and I want to know if you uh, so much pressure. get it. It's gonna be something in relation to chase scenes. Okay. This is gonna be the intro. I'm just gonna say, Mom, I did it. Yeah. Okay. It's the pod race from Phantom Menace. <gasps> oh! <laughs> the greatest. <laughs> I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes this is your co-host Kevin, a writer of one and a bit films and three and a bit episodes of TV, and I'm joined by my co-host of three films plus a Christmas special, Will. How are you doody, Kevin? How are you getting on? I'm grand, Will. How are you? <laughs> I'm just absolutely fantastic. Life's good. It's our third episode. Mm-hmm. We did a pilot. We did. We did a pilot. We did a Harrison Ford, and now we're on to this. And this is Jay Scenes. And, um... Yes. I guess that we need to recap people on what exactly the format of the show is, because people are going to be coming into this if we get listeners wondering what is this about. So I'll tell do you. you have a spiel you can oh, give them? I'll spiel it all day long. Yeah, absolutely. So basically <laughs> what the best bits is, it's films are fun, right? And what we do is each week, basically we have this... We have this big wheel with like about 300 random topics. One person rolls the wheel at the end of each show and gives the other person a topic. That person has to go off and research that topic and come back with their best bit. So we just, we basically spin the wheel and pick our favorites on whatever that category is. And before I get into my pick, Uh I want to know what yours is. Well, okay. I've got like a, a double header, right? And I can't split them, but... They're both in the same universe. Star Wars. Mm, incorrect. Um, <laughs> it would be Mad Max Road Warrior. That chase scene at the end. Or almost the entirety of Mad Max Fury Road. Cred- Road Warrior is just a spectacular chase scene made on a you know a relative shoestring budget and I just that's they have that stunt don't they where the guy is almost killed he just flips head over heels I just assume someone was killed in every shot in that film just it feels like there was a guy at his fingers lobbed off for god's sake well George Miller is a, a doctor or was a doctor so I'm sure he didn't mind like yeah 
So yeah, but Kevin, I'm really, really, really looking forward to this, um, to hearing your your best chase scene. I cannot wait for you to take my hand and we go on a good old <laughs> run down. <laughs> Whatever you're going to pick this is, this is exciting. Well, let's get into it then. Best chase scene. Here we go. Okay, so best chasing, like I said at the top of the show, this is a massive topic, Um, but I went with 1988's Mac and Me. So Mac and Me tells the story of young brothers. (laughs) In a scene in which a wheelchair-bound Eric rolls down a hill, unable to stop, and tumbles to his death down a ravine. The sequence is breathtaking. (laughs) Oh, I've actually pulled something. Um, (laughs) You keep tripping me up. I thought I would actually try and trip you up. No. Um, Best chasing. This was massive. And like I said, I would have gone with the truck chase from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was the one that immediately popped into my head. But because you were doing Harrison Ford and because I suspected you might do Raiders, I didn't want to go with that one. So I went back to the beginning. And what I found is that originally... The chase scene was called the race scene. You might have a visual image of like men in nightgowns being chased around their bedroom or um, gangs of people racing to stop a wedding or men on horseback, you know, racing to catch a runaway train. Mm. Those sort of sequences were like kinetic and filled with mayhem and they were often comedic and they were the ones that people went to see, they gravitated towards because no other art form could pull off action in motion. So the chase scene is sort of foundational to cinema. Going back to the earliest days of like the silent era, you had Buster Keaton, who was doing parkour before we even had a word for it. Mm -hmm. For anyone that's interested, he has a sequence in a film called Seven Chances from 1925, where it begins with him being chased by thousands of people through a small town, and it ends up with him being chased down a hill by hundreds of boulders. Mm -hmm. And this is before, you know, CGI or safety precautions like on most film sets. The Silent Hill was really committed to putting stunts on screen. And when it comes to chase scenes, they are essentially stunt scenes. And so when I was thinking about how to discuss chase scenes in, in all uh, facets, I decided to go with uh, stunt uh, categories. And stunt coordinators will divide chases up into two different separate categories. You have practical stunt scenes, which are essentially um, foot chases, anything acrobatic, free running, you know, like the opening to Casino Royale, for instance, or Point Break. And then you have mechanical uh, stunts, like car chases and wire work. So a lot of the stuff you saw in uh, The Matrix would have been a mechanical stunt because it's assisted. Um, And I chose car chases because Tom Cruise has crippled himself for a good foot chase, and I think that deserves its own episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> poor Tom Cruise's shattered kneecap <laughs> <laughs> poor man um, so the car chase then car chases are so dynamic and kinetic and exciting and like I say foundational to cinema that they can even carry a whole movie you've got Spielberg's Jewel for instance which is uh, a top 5 Spielberg film for me and considering it doesn't have a John Williams score that's saying something I'm right there with you Kev like, you can watch that on YouTube that's in a cracker of a film and made like in 14 days or something incredible it was made in 14 days and it was edited in something like two weeks uh, and went to air not long after that and he was using 
those big box cameras and some of the imagery that he gets in that film is, is startling when you think about the technology that they had at the time. Yeah, love it. So you have Jewel, you've got Mad Max, of course, you've got Speed, the Jan de Bont classic about a bus that can't slow down. Mm-hmm. I think it was called The Bus That Couldn't Slow Down. Mm-hmm. You've got comedies, you've got comedies like The Cannonball Run, Smokey and the Bandit, even Herbie. Um, so car chases can span genres and they can fill entire runtimes. And I think that speaks to the thrill of the chase. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when I think about my favourite action sequence in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe with all 22 films or whatever it is, I come back to Nick Fury's chase sequence in The Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah. DC Metro Police Dispatch shows no units in this area. Get me out of here. They can even be the highlight of a really disappointing movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Matrix Reloaded's freeway chase, for instance. Um, there were some films I wanted to sort of give a nod to, and mm. some of them are. The Way of the Gun. The Way of the Gun has a really uh, fascinating chase that's a slow-moving chase in an alleyway. You have uh, Deja Vu, which is a Denzel Washington film about um, premonitions where he is chasing a car which, um, through these goggles that he's wearing, he's able to see the past and he's trying to keep up with a car that drove along the same road that he is speeding down and he's having to avoid current day traffic while catching a car in the past, and it's it's such a, a, a clever uh, spin on the car chase. You have the Blues Brothers, which has the biggest pileup in history of, uh, I think it's like 130 different car crashes happen oh. on the screen. They've even taken us back to the future. Mm. And I think the appeal of the chase, and particularly the car chase, is it triggers our lizard brain. It sort of, it, it taps into that predator and prey mindset. And with that, there there really are two types of chase sequences. There's the getaway, where the protagonist is the one that's trying to make a frantic dash to avoid getting captured. And then there is uh, the pursuit, where the protagonist is trying to stop, to capture or to kill someone who's getting away. So with the getaway, you've got stuff like the driver and the BMX chase and E.T. And with the pursuit, you've got like the French connection and to live and die in L.A. Um, But I've gone for neither. Mm -hmm. But before I explain what I mean, I can tell you the filmmaker that I've zeroed in on. Okay. So when it comes to chase scenes, the chase scene is really a staple of the action uh, genre. And when it comes to action films, there's no better man in my eyes than James Cameron. Oh my God. Oh, because <laughs> I was there whittling as you were going through all those movies. <laughs> I was just there eliminating take because I don't want to I don't want to tip it. I don't want to actually say what I think it is. But now, OK, you've gone James Cameron. Very good. And my brain has clicked into a different metallic sounding gear. Go for it. So James Cameron, he doesn't have that many films and there aren't, there isn't a chase scene in Titanic so you can eliminate that one. <laughs> but uh, James Cameron then, in terms of box office, he's one of the most successful filmmakers Hollywood has ever seen. He's won three Academy Awards all in the same year for Titanic, uh, which held the number one spot on the all-time box office grocers for a decade until he released his follow-up film with Avatar. So he knocked himself off the top spot um, and it wasn't until Endgame came out uh, which pipped him by about a couple of million, 
that uh, he held the number one and number two uh, top spots yeah. uh, of box office performers. Yeah. Aside from that, he's an inventor, a documentarian. He's a deep sea explorer who pioneered state of the art. Uh, technology for 3D filmmaking and for underwater submersibles. Mm -hmm. In 2012, he was the first person in all of human history to perform a solo descent to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. That is like Yuri Gagarin as the first human venturing into space. It's a staggering feat. He's unbelievable. He's a a renaissance man. He's a Terminator. (laughs) Is he a good Terminator or a bad Terminator? You know, have you ever seen his short film or one of his short films? And it's basically like a, a, a sci-fi epic in 15 minutes. Have you ever seen it? I've not. Uh, I've seen snippets of it. It was on one of the um, behind the scenes documentaries. I think it might have been The Terminator, uh, his stop motion. Yeah, thing. he was going big when he was small. He was going balls to the wall, massive, explosive, big ideas, big sci-fi when he had no money. He's, a, he's just an impressive dude. Yeah. So it's that audacious tenacity and focus which I think has served him well in film but has sometimes served him badly in the press when it comes to film sets. He has a reputation, you know, for being a hothead um, who's willing to push his cast and his crew to the the limit to get a shot. But when it comes to chase sequences, Cameron has... He has done all types of them. He famously uh, is responsible for the foot chase in Point Break. You know, he was married to Catherine Bigelow at the time. And um, no. he wrote that chase sequence. And if you go back and um, you read that script, you can see his uh, style all over the page. And it's sort of undeniable. Well, I only saw that film like first first day of this year. Uh, so uh, and it's like uh, the highlight of that film, that fo- that foot chase. It's throwing the dog at him. And oh, yeah, there's so many cool moments in that. Yeah. And the, the script is as exciting to read as the actual sequences. You know, it's a it's a two or three page sequence. But he has such an economy of words and his style, this sort of directness that he writes with. It's um, it's a cracking read. Oh. So he's done the foot chase. He's also done uh, an aerial dogfight, but in submersibles in the abyss. Mm-hmm. Where Michael Bean is trying to um, sabotage the uh, deep core uh, crew and uh, it, it ends with his demise. But he's done that. Mm-hmm. Earlier I said there are two types of chases. There's the getaway and there's the pursuit. But there's another one, and it's the one that I've gone for, and that's the rescue. I don't know where you're going. I you, you have me on tender hooks. I'm so excited. It's so you're 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 weaving a lovely web for me here. I'm just you're you're at, as you're mentioning each of these things. I'm like going, oh yeah, that's class. Oh yeah, I think I know where you're going. I think I know where you're going. Okay, so the rescue is uh, a race to save someone's life. Um, and I particularly love them because they just add that added emotional stakes where there's a very hard end point as well. You know, usually with a lot of car chases and a lot of the car chases which I've mentioned, they tend to peter out. It's either the person gets away or um, the, the one in pursuit hits a roadblock. But in a rescue, you have a very definitive end point. You either save the person or you don't. Um, for me, in nature docs, that's like uh, the difference between the lion chasing the zebra or the lion chasing the zebra's mm. foal and the zebra fighting back. It just gives you that yeah. added extra oomph. Um, now, Cameron has done the rescue more than once. He did it in Aliens when Ripley goes from tagging along to taking charge in that desperate race to save the Marines being slaughtered. Do something! What the hell are you doing? He also did it in T2. Yeah. 
there's a stirring chase uh, through the Los Angeles River where John Connor is fleeing on a dirt bike and he's being pursued by the T-1000 and he's about to go under the wheels of the truck until Schwarzenegger leaps into the action um, on his Harley and comes to the rescue grabbing John off his dirt bike in the middle of the chase and pulling him to safety. Oh, this is good shit. You're, 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 yeah, great. Keep going. It's like ASMR stuff for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But, go on, go on, go on. But the film that I went with was the fifth film from Cameron. It's 1994's action comedy domestic epic, True Lies. Great. How'd it go at the convention, honey? You were the big hit of the show. It's fantastic. It's, I love the computer business. For 15 years, Harry Tasker's been leading a double life. Mr. President, one of our best men is inside. Transmitting now. Right on time. I don't believe I've met you before. Rehnquist. Harry Rehnquist. Listen to the following code word. Helen. H-E-L-E-N. Now, they're about to collide. What's your exit strategy? I'm going to walk right out of the front gate. May I see your invitation, please? Sure. Here's my invitation. So True Lies, it came out that summer of speed and clear and present danger and pulp fiction, uh, which we mentioned on last week's episode. But that was an incredible summer. Do you have any memories of, of oh, that man, summer? Oh man, do I? Yeah, I saw, I remember seeing Speed in a cinema on my own. And I remember just thinking this is an incredible film. I saw, you said Pulp Fiction? I saw it inside. You see, you you say I went to, the, I didn't go to the Capitol. I went to the Cozy, which was like a two screen cinema in Kentork and Cork and uh, literally run by a family. And, uh, I and saw, they let you in to see Pulp Fiction? They let me in to see. I, okay, let me disclose. Okay, aside, aside, they, and, and aside, they had a juvenile. They had a, like a, a juvenile GA uh, a kid screening, where all the juvenile teams got to go to the cinema to see a movie, and it was like some Jackie Chan <laughs> movie. <laughs> but it's like there was like loads of nudity in it, and I remember one of the projectionists, one of the family was in the projection booth and he had like a ruler and he was trying to cover up the boobs with this ruler in front of the projector. Putting it in front of the actual, oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, but yes, I remember the summer of 94. I think I saw all of the big releases in the cinema. True lies. What can I say? I'm a spy. So true lies then. It's based on a French comedy from 1991 called La Totale or The Total. It's uh, a film which not a lot of people have seen, but I watched it for this podcast. And um, it's not very involving, you know, it's limited by its budget. And a lot of what I love about True Lies is not there in that film. Um, And a lot of what people criticise about True Lies is actually taken from that uh, French film. So, um, mm, yeah, the genesis of the film came from Cameron getting into development hell with uh, Spider-Man. He'd been planning to make his version of Spider-Man with Leonardo DiCaprio as Peter Parker and Schwarzenegger as Doc Ock, but legal issues sort of got in the way. And so himself and Schwarzenegger were having a conversation about what they could do next because they just loved working with each other and they wanted to um, to get going on another film. And Arnie was obviously coming off the back of uh, The Last Action Hero, which wasn't uh, a high point of his career. And Schwarzenegger pitched the uh, the idea of instead of I'll be back it'll be I'll be Bond and wow. he told him about this French film Cameron watched it he loved the idea of it and uh, he decided to throw himself into making 
True Lies as what it became as his next film. For, for Arnie, this was the film that he felt he was born to play. He grew up sort of watching those Bond films and he was desperate to, to play a hero that had um, more going on than just flexing his muscles. And I think uh, it is the last sort of great Arnie film. After that, um, it went downhill pretty fast. You know, he returned the next year with Junior and then he followed up quite uh, quickly after that with Eraser yeah. and The Sixth Man and End of Days. So True Lies really marks sort of the end of the, the Schwarzenegger heyday. And it was it was a, a noticeable, like, uh, threat to the Bond franchise as well. Well, at that time, the Bond films had taken a, a sort of a turn into darker territory. It was yeah. the Timothy Dalton era and Bond films were not something that a lot of kids could go and see. So they wanted to sort of do something that was a bit more of a caper and could bring in those under 15-year-olds to, to watch something uh, that was evocative of the old Bond films, but yeah. um, wasn't like the current uh, uh, crop that were, were coming out at the time. So at the time, uh, Cameron had just set up Lightstorm Entertainment, and that was his own uh, production company. And he'd signed a $500 million 10-picture deal with 20th Century Fox wow. to produce 10 films under 75 million, where he would have complete creative control. Um, but as soon as he got into True Lies, he uh, found himself needing more money. And this is, uh, you know, indicative to, to who he is and, and how fixated he gets on something and how goal-orientated he is. But he, um, he renegotiated his deal from 10 pictures down to three so he could have... Uh, more money and some regard True Lies to be the first film which had a budget of over a hundred million dollars. Wow. Like it's a cracking looking film. It really is. It's a mm. it's a true spectacle. But True Lies is one of those films where you've got plot and then you've got story. And for me I often view plot as like the four walls and the roof and story is everything that's inside. But the plot of True Lies is Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Harry Tasker, an anti-terrorism special agent for the fictional Omega Sector, headed up by Nick Fury, I mean uh, Charlton Heston, (laughs) Um, and they are the last line of defence against threats foreign and domestic. When Harry and his um, crack team, uh, played by Tom Arnold and uh, Grant Heslov, learn of a terrorist plot by an ISIS-like faction known as Crimson Jihad to smuggle in and then detonate a nuclear warhead in downtown Miami, Harry pursues a lead that takes him to Juno Skinner, played by Tia Carrere, an arts and antiquities dealer who is helping the terrorists transport the warheads into the US using ancient Middle Eastern antiquities. However, while all this is afoot, Harry's secret life and his home life are at odds, and Harry's marriage is being neglected, and his loving but dissatisfied wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, and rebellious daughter Dana are unaware of Harry's secret life as a spy. Now, when Harry discovers Helen is being courted by a man named Simon, who is the opposite of Harry, he's a salesman who lies about being a spy, while Harry is a spy who lies about being a salesman. Simon seemingly offers Helen all the excitement and attention that Harry doesn't. And when Harry learns of this, he does the one thing which bites him in the ass and decides to involve his wife in his espionage. And by doing so, he puts the life of his wife in danger and risks the safety of his daughter. So that is um, the plot of True Lies. Mm -hmm. But the story can be more simply put as like a family that's falling apart gets put back together. Wow. But the chase that I went with, and as I said, there's the pursuit, there's the getaway, and there's a rescue. And the one that I went with is get down to the limo. Mm. Great.
Good shooting, Marines. So this was one of the sequences that Cameron dreamt up and he had this in his mind for years before he actually put it to screen. Uh, and it's something which isn't in the original, but he had this dream of a, an air rescue of a, a car that was driving along a road that was strafed with fire. And the sequence took several weeks to pull off. And according to some executives who were on the film, it cost at least five million to shoot. Wow. Uh, you can see why the budgets ballooned on his films. They shot the sequence on the Seven Mile Bridge in the Florida Keys and they built an 80 foot long scale model um, with a pair of Harrier jets sort of blow that up and that seamlessly sort of integrated into the actual bridge itself. Wow. But that model itself cost three million. So in the sequence, you've got Helen, who's been taken prisoner by Juno Skinner, uh, and she's held at gunpoint in the back of a limo that's traveling in a convoy with one of the warheads. Um, she believes at that point that Harry is dead. And when the Harrier jets appear and take out the bridge at the behest of Harry, who's been rescued by his psychic, Tom Arnold, and is in pursuit of the convoy, Helen seizes this moment to snatch the gun from Juno. A stray bullet goes off, and as they say in the film, it caps the driver. And now the limo is racing out of control, and no one is at the wheel, and it's barreling towards a missing section of the road. Now, in order to pull off this stunt, Cameron was operating the limo himself uh, by remote control, uh, and he was in a car that was riding behind the, the limo. And they were going at 70 miles an hour while a chopper overhead was trying to match the movements and try and grab um, either Jamie Lee Curtis, who was harnessed into the limo, or her double, Donna Keegan. Now, um, Donna Keegan describes it in the show Factory's uh, Stunt Women, the untold Hollywood story, as a stunt that required everybody um, to give everything. And there was a section of the, the shoot where... Um, they didn't take a break for 12 days and by the time it came to uh, the sequence where she gets snatched out of the limo Jamie Lee Curtis performed her part of that on her 35th birthday uh, and she was hanging underneath the chopper while it was flying at uh, 250 feet up in the air and when it was pitched to her she said to Cameron okay I'll give it a go but where will you be and he said I'll be hanging out the side of the helicopter filming you with a handheld camera and that's the shot which is in oh, the film wow I <laughs> Wow, and like <laughs> this is like in an era where you kind of had to do it. You had to do. You could maybe paint out a few, you know, safety. Maybe you couldn't. Maybe it wasn't as easy to paint out the kind of the safety harnesses and stuff like that back then. I think the year before in Jurassic Park, they had painted in um, Ariana Richards' face over the over stunt uh, double, um, where she falls through the, the rafters. Um, but for this, it was it was all Jamie Lee Curtis. The whole movie has been building to this moment. And this has been a movie that has, for all its spy espionage and all the, the thrills and spills of that, it's been about a troubled marriage. And this is the moment when that husband and wife um, are looking into each other's eyes and they're seeing each other for the first time. And uh, for better or worse, till death do them part. This is the moment where they renew their vows, James Cameron style. So in a film where no one says I love you, this is it left unspoken and shown in action. Come on, baby. romantic i love it <laughs> yeah art films fun. that's that's a fantastic pick the stunt from true lies is truly a stunt performer's dream come true 
we're hovering up there in the sky, swinging back and forth, and all I hear is constant. So all I can hear is the helicopter with the wind blowing. I finally get down to the limousine. It's going about 50 miles an hour. All of a sudden, it becomes really surreal and dream state because all I can see is this massive wall of fire and smoke. And I know somewhere after that, I'm taking off. This limo's gone. And then all of a sudden, unreal because at that moment I was out there looking at me here and directing myself and telling myself awesome all good beautiful all these words were coming through my mind you know as I was going off into the sun it's amazing amazing so that was our best Harrison Ford scene and our best chase scene. Um, but the question is, what are we going to do next week? <laughs> I'm This week, I'm, I'm spinning for you first. Yes, you are, and then I'm spinning for you. Okay, so. are you ready? So I'm going to start spinning the wheel now. Spinning, spinning, it's incredibly loud. <laughs> Here we go. The tension is building. Fingers crossed. And Kevin, you're... <laughs> Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Don't. <laughs> ah, this is going to be one. Oh, this is funny. So your topic for next week is best sex scene. Oh, f- <laughs> well, listen. Oh, my God. I'll give you a suggestion. I, I, Team America, World Police. There we That's go. That's a good one. You've, you've no... <laughs> edit this out. Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Best sex scene. <laughs> How do you... <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, so listen. Well now we know that you're not gonna get that. Ah uh, well <laughs> I'm spinning them for you. <sighs> oh here we go. Fine. And okay, well it can't be as bad as that. It is best run Tom Cruise run scene. So we're actually doubling up. Oh now you're getting foot okay. chases, but Tom oh. Cruise foot chases in particular. Hold on now, hold on. Tom Cruise runs for a lot of reason, not just for chasing. He runs if he wants to express emotion, and <laughs> he runs from his doesn't, feelings. Doesn't he? He runs in nearly. He runs in every film, even the film where he's in a wheelchair. He runs. In that. <laughs> I don't know. He does. He really does. Metaphorically. <laughs> so, uh, where oh. can people find you, Will? Uh, people can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Willems Film. Uh, Kevin, where can people find you? They can also find me on Twitter at Kevin Lehan. Oh, and you're just going to be tweeting about sex scenes for next week. I am. What's the dirtiest sex scene? <laughs> <laughs> Suggestions, please. <laughs> <laughs> and why is this your favourite? <laughs> How do we rank that? On what scale do we rank it's that? It's an interesting one. But look, listen, this is going to be a topic that's going to be... Filthy. <laughs> Great. I'm looking forward to it, Kevin. Right. Uh, me too. Cannot wait. <laughs> okay, good luck. See you. The Best Bits Podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com.
And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Will and the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, 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 something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't throw what? <laughs> oh my god. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Will Talking deviantly. Okay, right. I'm gonna find the fucking thing because it's gonna be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened to it. I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, of yeah. course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwarts and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho yeah, That's exactly so. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kev and Willem about the telly and the latest film. Coming straight to the dynamic duo. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, <laughs> I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm raring to go. I saw Madam Webb. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster oh, very recently. It went, "There's a Madam Web film," and I'm, what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? You're well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. 
It was just sort of like, it was another one of those films that felt like Ant-Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless. And, you know, you just have sewn stage after sewn stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. Where I feel like uh, yes, there's nothing organic happening in these from the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels it's artificial wafer thin just wafery artificially no sustenance no satisfaction you know protein in it whatsoever you feel like yeah wow i just i just put something down my throat and i'm still hungry it feels like eating plastic okay on the whole it's just drifted so far away from what iron man was that i just don't care about them yet I found The Flash really fun because it it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the the special effects of The Flash. I just thought, you know, it's Mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went into Madame Web not really giving a fuck about the genre but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it and the trailer was awful it had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's she's shitting out exposition and I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage and uh, the film itself to me played like a Final Destination action thriller and I thought it was really pleasant it didn't bother me in the slightest I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has it was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them and they just played that out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man it looked as good as that it was all real locations for me it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films and I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire. But... Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> oh, I had to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Caddy was pushing back and I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Caddy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I thought... <laughs> <laughs> but you know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I like Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. Thank you.